Hi there, welcome back to the Christopher Governator show, or I think also call it the What Do You Know show. What do you know? And we're learning about domestic terrorism and the rise of white nationalism, white nationalism, a white nationalist. white supremacist, which is, that's what the FBI said was the number one threat. I wonder if supremacist, white supremacist, the word white supremacist is, is, um, fucks up the algorithm on social media or not. Ah. Calling on ah. Congress to pass it, saying it will create more- Okay, we're gonna, we're going to rewinds, so to speak. Right? Uh, yeah. For previously launching a violent shooting at about the 10 victims who lost their lives in the racist shooting at a supermarket. Yeah, um, okay. Of course, guy's gonna be a Trump supporter. Um, he posted his his manifesto online, so to speak. Uh, 100, 200 pages 200 page manifesto online two days before there's either 100 pages or 200 pages posted two days before the shooting and so I'm wondering why the fuck didn't anyone uh, wasn't that a fucking red flag and also he'd been previously questioned by the police the popos so um, why wasn't he fucking like brought in before you know, this happens. I consider this uh, the um, incompetence of law enforcement or something. You know, it's law enforcement's fault. This shooting. I mean, would they fucking want it to happen? Why didn't they fucking act? Weren't there, were there no tips? Nobody, nobody uh, was watching this kid after... He was questioned by police like a year before for making a threat against his school. And nobody... What the, what the fuck is going on there? You know, that's... It's either police incompetence or mishandling or um, they let it happen or, you know, we're just... We, we have our law enforcement is infiltrated by white supremacists and they the white supremacists they want a fucking civil war they want to they want to fucking i i had to report this really disgusting comment horrific thing about like piling up it was a white it was a some shithead who uh you know, Trump, uh, Trump supporting, Trump humping, um, knee-jerk fucking zombies. That's what they are. All fucking zombies. It's like zombies have fucking taken over this country, man. White supremacist zombies. And as long as they're not held to account, this shit is just gonna keep happening all the time. <laughs> it's a funny picture. It's, it's funny that... <laughs>
this still um embers nests this is from fox uh, when johnny depp attorney uh attorney objects i watched it snaps anyway 420 it's 420 um let's go to I just did a podcast with so, uh, leaving an angry message for Lindsey Graham, as well as penning a little love note to my BF, Johnny Depp. While you were filming London Fields and Johnny had gone back to L.A., uh, what, if any, issues did you have? with him on fraternizing with the cast. Huh? I'm going to ask, Michelle, can you pull up Defendant's Exhibit 188? Your Honor, I'm going to object on hearsay. Your Honor, I'm going to let's pull up 188A. I've redacted everything but what Mr. Depp says. Uh, while, while they're working on that, can, can you tell us terrible. what transpired she looks like between you and Mr. Depp when you wanted to do something with a cast member? So, as I said, he came to London for his own work and also dropped me. He dropped me off in London where I had to be for a few months to film this movie. <laughs> and uh, he asked me to marry him. We're just gonna we're gonna switch to Atlantean Secrets of the Sphinx. Oops. Oh darn. I just had it, man. Whoa, what the fuck is all that? Oh no. I don't write these books. These books are written by the higher consciousness. Why the Sphinx? How did that happen? Were you looking for something? Somebody with this name of three knows the information about the Sphinx. It was an extraterrestrial presence that would come down on Earth to try to help humanity before it destroyed one another. Much of the evidence in many of the great pyramids yeah, are long just buried just under the sand. Just just we have yet to rediscover them. Just. Right, it holds our true history. <laughs> yes. The Sphinx. This Sphinx was being built on this very special rock. It had like a generator almost. It was a very special rock that came almost like an asteroid from a different planet. Yeah. And it's basically an extraterrestrial presence. And all of a sudden, this different voice came through Yana and said, we have to interrupt this session right now. You're getting too close to confidential information. I've been saying for years that it's going to take the work of talented, intuitive, and hypnotherapy subjects to flesh out our real human history. Artifacts on the ground are not enough. We need deep memory. 
Sarah Bressman Cosme's work is key in working together toward this end. I previously interviewed her here on a hypnotist journey to Atlantis. Today, we're going to go to the mysterious Sphinx. Welcome back, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to see you again. And um, I read the new book, loved it, just like the previous one. And I have such respect for the way this is happening. Before we go any further and into this story, and there's a lot here, did you ever guess when you became a hypnotherapist that you were going to end up in this position? Never. I had no idea, you know, at all that this would ever happen to me. It was such a wild ride. Yeah, because you were you were trying to help people overcome some of our poor habits in life and get better sleep and lose weight and all that. And here we are talking about Atlantis and the Sphinx. I know. It's just incredible. I had no idea. And it's just started popping through the most unlikely sources that really had no interest. Same is going to go for today's story, by the way, mm-hmm. that had no interest in these subjects and no knowledge. I had such a different background. I had a scientific background, so I got into all of this stuff by accident. Yep, and one of them was Jen Sullivan, mm-hmm. who she's she has um, she's carrying forward into this story. But we also have a couple of other people that you were working with whose stories start crossing over. And I think it seems that Jen shows up so prominently because she's really lucid and very easy to very easy for her to. Um, to reflect back information that she's seeing, and it's very detailed. She's a really good subject. She's such a good subject because she doesn't know about this stuff. She didn't know about this at all. She was a teacher at the school where my kids went to school, and I knew that she didn't know anything about this stuff because we were friends for 10 years, and I would try to bring up little things here and there about spirituality, but she wasn't into any of that stuff, so that's why... She was just such a fantastic oh, subject because cool. I know that she didn't know this stuff previously. Right. Just as you had not known it previously. Right. Until you started running, bumping into it and getting right. some exposure along the way. So, right. first of all, we already know what happened with Atlantis. Anyone who wants to watch can go back and look at that interview I did with you on Atlantis. So, kind of sets this up. Why the Sphinx? How did that happen? Were you looking for something or what happened? You know, I never lead these sessions, and that's what makes it so exciting. I don't write these books. These books are written by the higher consciousness that comes through my clients when they're deep under hypnosis. So there's an agenda there. There's information that these higher consciousness want to get out. And I had no idea it would be about the Sphinx. Everything just kept leading us to the Sphinx. It was so exciting to learn all this amazing information. It is, and we're going to get into that, but I feel inclined, I wasn't planning on it, but I feel inclined to say, you and I did our own session yesterday, and the reason was, um, you and I were talking on the phone, just prep for this, and um, I suddenly got this hit, gee, I haven't had a regression since Dolores Cannon, now 22 years ago, maybe I should have Sarah regress me, I didn't have anything in mind, it just hit me out of nowhere, so I said, Sarah, how would you feel about doing a regression when you come to Boulder? And you started laughing because... Because the day before, my regression subject said, Dolores just came through and said, you got to see if you can regress Regina. (laughs) (laughs) And what was so funny was that we did the regression, and I I didn't have any expectation. There was nothing specific I wanted to see. And it turned out 
I really think that was Dolores guiding that entire thing because it was more information that ties these stories together on a lot of levels. Gave me the goosebumps. Yes, it definitely ties it all together. Yeah, so a bunch of information flowed out, and some of it I was aware of, some of it I was not aware of, and some of it I can't remember right now. But it just showed that these other forces, and Dolores is not embodied right now. I'm sure she's here with us at this moment. She passed away a few years ago. And uh, she wanted to see that certain information that certain people hold comes forward. So in, say, Jen's case, she might come forward because she wants to work on whatever issue she came to you for, not knowing that she's being guided from the other side. And I will say, when you're doing a session, you're not, you're not asking leading questions at all. Yeah, there's never. nothing leading. There's no subject matter. It all has to come out of the being. And that's why I really didn't write these books. I'm just mm -hmm. a humble messenger. Right. Really. You just edit them together. Right. Put a nice cover on them. <laughs> okay. So first of all, another thing that kept coming out of clients is they kept saying, someone named three is here. And at other times, the word thrice and Hermes came up. And it turned out that this is Toth. Now, Toth is an archetypal entity who as the scribe from the egyptian gods right and culture you didn't know anything about toth they didn't and it was interesting thrice trismegistus which is tr thrice thrice toth so in three different incarnations so toth is three times this entity incarnating is three different entities so it's known as thrice trismegistus and he just oh shortened it he just shortened it to three I mean, because they wouldn't even be able to pronounce. I can barely pronounce it. I don't. Maybe I'm not pronouncing it right. But um, he came through and gave a simplification of what he's known as to each of these people, and they're seeing this entity calling right. themselves three. And when with my, ancient Egyptian knowledge, we didn't know anything about thrice Trismegistus. Oh, okay. Yes. And nobody's heard of this. None of my subjects had. But they kept saying, somebody with this name of three knows information about the Sphinx. And multiple clients kept saying that. And I thought, that's a really strange name, three. Why do you call this being three? And they said, because this being doesn't go by um, he or she. It's androgynous. Yeah. And it's basically an extraterrestrial presence. Yeah, you could say that. Yeah. So here is Toth who is the great scribe throughout Egyptian history, and one might argue even into Atlantean history, coming to share through innocent people information that has been withheld from humanity. Right, because the time is right for it to come back to humanity. So let's go to Jen first. And Jen was the primary subject we were speaking about a moment ago. And she was talking about, when she, when she started looking at it, she said, it was an outpost. So let's talk about where she was, was, what she was looking at, where it was an outpost from, and what she started seeing. So I was regressing Jen, and I took her back to that lifetime in the 70s, or that's where her higher self brought her to. And we were finding out information about that When she committed suicide, was put right. in an insane asylum, basically jumped off a bridge when she got out for a minute. Right. And, now she, and she came back not too long after that. Right, Exactly. Jen. And back during that lifetime, she had been regressed earlier by yes. a different hypnotist. And during that time, they were uncovering information. And some of this information that they uncovered was about the Sphinx. And we didn't know this previously. But as I was regressing her, she realized this. And we went, she went to the time where she saw it being built. 
And she saw from an an observer point of view that this sphinx was being built on this very special rock. It had like a generator almost. It was a very special rock that came almost like an asteroid from a different planet. And she didn't know exactly where it was, but this was a very special rock because it could harness and hold and magnetize energy. And so the colonizers that came to this planet chose that rock to build the Sphinx on it because they knew it could act as a time capsule, a generator almost to keep certain things active so that they could have it stored there. And when Jen was seeing it being built, she saw that the extraterrestrials that built it didn't have bodies at the time because they didn't need to interact with humans. And it's very interesting because many different extraterrestrials will say they don't need a body unless they're interacting with humans or unless they're going to be on this earth for a while. So at the time, it was easier for them to build the Sphinx. And they used these laser-like tools to chisel out the Sphinx. Most of the time was spent digging the tunnels underneath. Just the, it was a short amount of time for them to build the uh, jungle cat-like facade on top Mm -hmm. that is now looks different yeah she almost called it a kind of human hard drive Mm -hmm. so it has our human history in it it does but it it also appears to have our human future Mm -hmm. in it it does in terms of what we're capable of what we are what we were hybridized from right right it holds our true history yes in the sphinx and it broadcasts out so everything that's happening around us today is being stored in the Sphinx and broadcast out to other planets so they can keep track of us. And it wasn't just she, but others also saw the same function happening. But you touched on something there, and and I found it interesting in the book, was the tunneling system. Mm -hmm. Because she went on to say, she also spoke of Antarctica and said that Mm -hmm. was really one of the cradles of civilization where she and her people from wherever they came from, were colonizing. They were doing that in the Antarctica area, Arctica area. And she said throughout, all over the earth, are massive tunnel systems. Oh, definitely. Tell us about the tunnel systems, Well, how she described them. She described, especially the ones that went, that were underneath the Sphinx. They went from large and boxy to small, not small, but narrow. So basically it would create something within the mind when you would go through them. It would create almost like a transcendence, um, this feeling of going from a wide area into this small, narrow spot. And it was basically what it was supposed to do is to go from the scattering of the mind into focus Mm -hmm. to bring you back to that state where you can really focus and get information. It was all done for a very specific purpose. But there were also tunnel systems built all over throughout the earth for the ice under age the oceans mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for the ice age and during that time before the ice age there was a lots of warning and so they the uh extraterrestrials that were seeding this planet didn't want to lose their you know experiment so they came down and they helped everybody build these tunnels intricately i mean there's many other reasons for the tunnels but that's one of them what are some of the other reasons for the tunnels oh my gosh well I've heard there were different joining mechanisms for different extraterrestrials that would inhabit the inner earth. And so they would use the tunnels as a way of like meeting up with one another and going over perhaps civilizations or Mm -hmm. tribes of people. Right, right. So they could go unnoticed. Also, another reason for the tunnel systems were for extraterrestrials to work on the soil. 
because it was said that if they didn't, we wouldn't really be able to live here. Hmm. And so this, the different experiences, each of these people had different experiences of the tunnel system. And you pointed to a moment ago, one of them included what happened when humans had to go underground during the Ice Age. Mm -hmm. Can you talk from memory, if you can, because there's so much information, I don't like to throw things at you because okay. you have to go into your data bank and remember what someone said, but can you explain what it was like for the people that had to go underground during an Ice Age, how they lived? Because they were assisted by ET technologies for physical survival, as I recall. Well, you know, it was interesting because there was a lot of revolting going on because some people just wanted to go back to the surface, but they couldn't. So there was a huge divide in, in the minds of the people at the time. And then when they finally could come to the surface, some didn't want to, mm -hmm. and some have stayed in the Oh, tunnels. so there's still humans in those oh, tunnels living there. Mm -hmm. But as I recall, some of them became weakened and did not make it. Right. And what was that a result of, as you recall? just from lack of sunlight and, you know, they couldn't really do very much. There was this specific thing that they would do to create energy within the tunnels. They would go make these big circles and just try to run in one circle um, many times. And it would create a, a, like a type of energy that they would try to bathe themselves in. And then some really enjoyed to just sit in the crevices deep in the tunnels and they would feel the energy of the earth. My subjects all had different experiences during this time, the ones that remembered this experience deep under hypnosis. All in all, it wasn't a particularly satisfying experience for them. I don't want to remember it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm thinking, yeah, interesting why anyone would even choose to incarnate during those times where you, I mean, there's always something to learn, something new if you're an adventurer, but it didn't sound like a quality of life that most humans would want. Well, I think for some of them, it gave them great purpose to create this energy within the tunnels mm -hmm. because by doing these circles and creating this energy, they were also benefiting the earth. And so they felt very connected deep in these tunnels. And okay. it was, that was their sense of purpose. Hmm. Instead of just survival. Right. Right. Because, right. I mean, your creativity is, activity is somewhat limited in its expression. Not right. a lot of resources. Also, they can connect deeply with the earth in that way. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to move on to that, past that. And the, you mentioned before that when the face was originally built and Jen was watching it being built, you were looking at a feline, mm -hmm. a cat. Mm -hmm. Now, why was that? And then what's the story of how the cat ultimately became the pharaoh? And what kind of timeline are we looking at in terms of the age as far as can be determined in a regression of the Sphinx? Well, the Sphinx was first the jungle-like cat facade because that was the apex predator in the area. There's other Sphinx-like structures, and they would also have the apex predator of that area as the facade there. But um, it was changed with the kind of symbolically with a takeover of the masculine energy and control. So symbolically, there's so many symbols in our world today. So symbolic, symbolically, when they just totally changed the face, it was kind of to symbolize that takeover of greed and this, um, you know, masculine Dominance and control. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, does she have any sense of the age of when it was originally constructed in its original feline form? That was before civilization. That was when they were like starting to colonize Antarctica. So Antarctica at that 
period of time had green rolling hills yes. and it was really peaceful to live there. Everybody was very excited. They were so excited about this project they were creating and they had many children, hybrids, and they were so happy. My clients just described Antarctica during that time as just amazing. Right. And then mm. even when um, Jen would have difficulties in her life, she would be taken back to a memory just to see Antarctica because it gave her such great peace. So it was during that time, way before Antarctica went under the ice. So we're looking at hundreds of thousands of years. Oh, definitely. So the Sphinx would be much older than even Robert Schock suggested, who outraged everyone saying it was 11, 12,000 years old. Way, way. <laughs> well, when you look at other, uh, um, other esoteric systems that say the the pyramid is at least eighty five, at least a hundred thousand years old. Um, that's those are speculations. They could be even further back than that. And much of the evidence in many of the great pyramids are long buried under the sand, and we have yet to rediscover them. Well, it's not. Yeah, and it's not his fault. I mean, it's really hard to know. No, no, no. He was trying to be as conservative as he could on it. And that was outrageous in the time, though. It got him in a lot of trouble to stick his neck out that wow. far and deviate from the original uh, Egyptians Antiquities Department version of the story, which is a whole other thing. So this is what's nice about this. Because it's coming through intuitive and, and regressed information, it can't tick off any members of any kind of uh, institutions. You know, it's just that they can make what they want of it, which is why I love it. Okay, so what, now looking at the Sphinx from Jen's point of view, there was information planted there under, I believe, the left paw. Many, mm -hmm. many people have seen this. Mm -hmm. um, that there's something for us to access under the paw. What did she see? So she saw that there were crafts, there were extraterrestrial crafts, technology there stored under there, and just like a treasure trove of different information. But the thing about this information under the Sphinx that's still there, that's important to know, is you can only see it when you've reached a certain level in your existence. So you can't see it at the current level in this, I guess you could call it, um, plane of existence in this 3d reality with our mindset now you have to raise your vibration enough to receive certain information within the sphinx yeah and that's my understanding too even from my own guides that that information won't be will not be revealed until we've reached a certain level of understanding right and what you know what's what's interesting about it is in talking with mark vigato for example, and others about the technological progress of Atlantis mm -hmm. and the destructions that ultimately occurred um, as a result of heavy reliance on materialism over our spiritual mental matrix and faculties. I wonder about that with the Sphinx, when you have to be a certain vibration to see it, that means it must be going back into spiritual technologies, not just technological spacecraft and such. Exactly. You have to be able to use your mind in order to access it. Right. And that's what she was saying. And you have to be ready for it. Mm -hmm. Like even me, for example, before I was into spirituality, someone gave me an Esther Hicks book, asking it was given yes. something, which is a great book, but I took one look at it and threw it out. I was so <laughs> mad that we create our own reality because I wasn't ready. So you have to be ready for this information. Yes. And she, and Yana is another one of your clients. Let's talk a little bit about, we're going to go into a couple of 
Yana's journeys in it. There was another woman named Mary. I want to talk about hers too. That was that was really interesting. But Yana was saying that the Sphinx was actually developed in another dimension initially before it became the physical Sphinx. Can you talk about that a bit? So Yana discovered that the Sphinx was connected to her home. And back in her, in this one past life in Egypt, she would go to the Sphinx so that she could connect to her home planet and she could receive information through the Sphinx. And she noticed that you can still do this. You can tune in to the kind of frequency that the Sphinx emits and just communicate back with your own home planet if you feel a calling to do so, almost like tuning the radio dial. That's interesting for anyone watching who's planning to go on a tour of Egypt. Oh, definitely. And has a chance to touch the base of the Sphinx. That would be amazing. Oh, my gosh, definitely. One of my clients actually did channel the Sphinx, and it was so fascinating. We were asking it questions. and Tell us about that. Well, when it, it was Fred, and I asked Fred, well, Fred said, hey, I can, I can channel the Sphinx, you know, right now. So, of course, as curious as I am, I said, well, go ahead. What does it want to say? And I said, I am you. Because basically, it's tapped into universal consciousness. So it is us. So essentially, we are also the Sphinx as well, which I thought was really interesting. That's the hard drive Ourself. for human awareness, consciousness, right, right, and exactly. history. Exactly. What else did Fred see? Let's go to, let's talk about Fred for a moment. Oh my gosh, Fred is such an interesting character because my client, my other two clients kept saying that this being named three will show up. And um, at the end of Fred's session, when I asked who I was speaking with, he said, I am three. <laughs> and he didn't even know that I had been learning about three. But Fred was very connected with that being that you would call Toth. Mm-hmm. Toth. Three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And three was this bringer of light. It was an extraterrestrial presence that would come down on Earth to try to help humanity before it destroyed one another. And basically, three was just sharing information about how we're all fractal of universal consciousness and how we all create from the spiritual heart. So the frequency of the spiritual heart can help you create anything. And three was basically sharing this information about how just being kind to another can really help you kind of dust off the cobwebs of your spiritual heart and you can create that way. So being kind to one another can actually help you manifest. I I love that part of the book. Honestly, that was, he had some really kind of lovely, um, testimony so to speak right definitely anything else from fred because i want to go back to yana for a bit and what happened when your session was interrupted oh my gosh yeah well that was that has never happened to me before ever so so, okay let's go to it you're with yana okay and you guys are in the middle of a session and tell us what happened it's just a regular session (laughs) so i thought and um i was regressing yana to that past life and she wanted to go see her home planet So I asked her higher consciousness to take her to her home planet that she wanted to see so badly. And all of a sudden, this different voice came through Yana and said, we have to interrupt this session right now. You're getting too close to confidential information. Now, why? Why is it confidential? And they said, because it would be too confusing for humanity to understand and you're getting too close. And I said, well, what would happen if if you just tell me, (laughs) if you just tell me? this confidential information they said well it would cause too much confusion 
It's very um, classified information. You're getting too close to the energy from Yana's home planet that will be free energy in the future for, for this planet. And there were other, there's other information that we couldn't, they couldn't divulge. So my session was interrupted. And then they said, okay, now we'll bring Yana back and we'll show her this other scene um, and, and let you go on with your session again. And anytime I got too close, they interrupt this, interrupted us, interrupted the session. And again, when you say too close, it was to a type or a source of energy that they said we're not to know about yet. Not to know just about yet. it yet. And I assume because we don't have the wisdom to use right. it for right purpose. Right for the right purpose exactly but i've had other clients go to this same home planet i believe it was the same because they describe it the same way with these um kind of spires on it and yes. when they when they see this home planet they get overwhelmed and very emotional because it seems for many humans walking the planet today it's in their blood it's in their dna to want to go back to this home planet. So even a glimpse of it affects them deeply and they remember instantly, oh, that's where I'm from. That's my home. I want to go back. Do they remember any of the characteristics of the people or the civilization or anything? All they know is that their home had to die, had to lay fallow for a while until it could be rebuilt, that it had finished its life cycle. I guess if you could imagine this earth and this earth, you know, finally finishing its life cycle, the connection you have to this earth, if you are going to a different planet to stay while this earth is being rebuilt, it would be in your DNA probably. You would remember this earth and the beauty and everything and want to go back. So that's kind of how I feel Interesting. it happens for my clients or how they feel about that other home planet that once they see it, they just want to go back. Okay, now that crosses over into... The subject of mars because mars started coming up in this story right. as well talking about a planet that had um, a catastrophe and lost its inhabitability so can we talk about that for a moment sure because they were saying a lot of people that are curious about mars are curious because that's where they once were Exactly. So tell us that story. There's always a reason why you have a curiosity to something anyway. It's your intuition leading you to something. So for many, just hearing this story will help them so much because they have that that um, curiosity about Mars. So apparently there were many beings living on Mars when there was a collision in the atmosphere and it kind of blanketed Mars and it turned cold and they couldn't live there anymore. So they asked for help and some beings didn't make it. There were many people that perished on Mars and many that were rescued as well. But for some, just seeing the civilization being rebuilt would really help them so much in their life right now. What about the notion of being underground on Mars? They had tunnels um, in within Mars where they would transport their food and stuff like that. They were basically vegetarian in nature. nature. So, and they went underground during yeah, this time, during the cataclysm, right? Mm -hmm, when they waited for help, but they couldn't really support themselves and sustain life there under the ground. There, yes, because there were some people, um, like uh, Robert Dean, who was a lovely man in the military for many years, who had been shown, and many say that they've seen these maps of Mars and that it's being inhabited right now and that there are actually uh, colonies of Earth people 
that are living there right now, but underground. Oh, As, I heard that too. That's yes, interesting. Did any of that come up in any regressions? Just that, that there are humans living there now. That's what uh -huh. I heard in, um, with my clients under hypnosis. So what you're saying... And that there is life on Mars. Yeah. And what you're saying is, is making me think that the people that might be living on Mars, as far as some accounts say, might very well be those who lived there once before and their planet was lost to them. And oh, they're, definitely. Yeah, they're yeah. back and yeah. just trying to reestablish on whatever place they're more comfortable. Right. So did they say anything about the future of Mars in terms of the habitability and the, the ability to survive there more easily in the future? Yes, they said it will be rebuilt and people will live there in the near future. Mm -hmm. What about Venus? Does anything ever come through from Venus? No, but I'll ask. Yeah, it's interesting because I didn't read that in any of these. And I was thinking, hmm, I bet Venus will start popping through. Anyway, it's just maybe know. it's planting a seed. <laughs> um, so another thing um, that came up, in, and this is a big one for me. And this message came through, I think, Jen. It came through Fred. And it may have come through Yana. You remind me. And that was when people were looking at Earth's future, when they were looking at Earth's future, they would go into these progressions as well. Mm -hmm. And it's not what we're being told. Oh, my gosh. Not at all. No. So I would like you to tell that story of what they're seeing about the future of Earth. Well, first of all, none of these people know one another and they don't know what the other person said. Mm -hmm. So I do that just to keep this valid. Mm -hmm. And they all say the same things, all of them, including, you know, I, I do this job almost every day, right. that Earth is moving into an amazing place, that this will be a kinder, gentler Earth. It's going to be an amazing place to live, that this everything is right on track. The Earth is ascending. Basically, what they say is the Earth is on a trajectory of planets, there are many other Earth planets, and they move up like a um, the rungs of like a ladder. Dimensionally. Right. Yeah. And so once the Earth hits a certain frequency, it will become a light planet. Right now, Earth is classified right now as a manifestation planet. It wasn't before. So you can manifest a lot easier now. But everything is right on track. The extraterrestrials that speak through my clients are very happy with the progress and happy with the way everything's going. I mean, yes, there's chaos, but the future looks amazing. And when they each spoke of it, it the question was, well, is there a time when Earth will become extinct? And you must have been the one asking the question well, of curious. each of these people out of curiosity. And every time they said, no, not for millions of right. years. When it goes through its own natural cycle, that's millions of years from now. That is right. not for us to be even thinking about nor concerned with. We're nowhere close. And the notion of people and, and mass extinction of humanity and life forms, mm -hmm. tell us what they said about that. I was curious about that, too, because it seemed like we were uh, repeating the Atlantis cycle. Mm -hmm. And no, we're actually doing things so much better, so much differently. And there's so much help on the planet there are so yes. many extraterrestrial volunteers embodied in a human body right now, helping. There's extraterrestrials helping from, you know, just they're interdimensional they're beings. All over. You're saying extraterrestrials is anything that's not oh, human, but it's actually it's every, you're everybody. referring to every kind of entity, right. interdimensional, angelic, etc. They're all right. here helping right. us. I'm kind of curious when you look at the Atlantean times and the stories that are emerging. 
the competition and over-reliance upon technology seem to be a bit of a downfall for humanity. Right. And now we're reaching those same decision points. It must be that these beings feel we are making decisions that will ultimately avert that same trajectory. So something's helping wise us up a little bit over what we've been before. Definitely. Well, there's a special light hitting the planet right now that many of my clients have been talking about. It's like this bluish white light that's just blanketing the earth. It's been blanketing the earth. You can feel it. It's raising the frequency of the inhabitants and the earth as well. And it's a very healing light all over. Just trying to remove things that are unwanted from people and the earth as well. At the same time, when you remove things, we have a tendency to cling a bit and we don't like change too much. So the chaos comes in our reaction to the fact that our own higher essence, our own higher self is trying to remove these things from us. And that's being drenched in that light. Right, right. It's a very exciting time. But as far as the technology, this is really exciting because during Atlantis, we moved too far in our technology and we didn't have compassion. See, what's different about these times is that we're holding compassion now and we're moving with the technology. We're creating balance. It's all about the balance. And that's what we were striving to do before, but we didn't do it right. This time we're doing it right. It does seem like the it factor now that may have um, become dampened back then is the energy of the heart. Right. Can you talk about that a little bit? Like what, what three, like what three was talking about, just the frequency, the spiritual heart and being compassion, hold it, being compassionate and holding compassion for one another. It's huge. It helps you so much. And especially doing the job I do when I take people to the afterlife and they do their life review, they realize that every single thing they did to help somebody else comes back to them. They feel it greatly, every single thing. So it's an incredible thing to be kind to another person. It helps you just as it helps them. But it's also a frequency. It is. And that Mm -hmm. frequency is, the frequency ultimately is what creates change, the earth's ascension or ascension into reconnecting with the spiritual aspect of life, self, cosmos, etc. To me, that's ascension, is reconnecting with spirit. Mm -hmm. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, in the simplest form. And we're all in the process one way or another. Did they talk at all in any of these about artificial intelligence and that, that being developed on the Mm -hmm. planet now? Yes, um, there's been a lot of talk through my clients about that. Well, they were saying that it's only beneficial in the right hands. It's divine. It's divine planning. That's the way we're supposed to move. This is our future. But uh, as as long as the right people hold the key, but there's so much help right now, and we're there's so much help to make sure things go well. So I'm not worried as far as the trajectory right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're all seeing the same outcome, so I'm not either. But I find this point where we're making decisions absolutely fascinating. Not only the chaos because of the human, our human nature of clinging to the familiar when it's time to let go, that causes chaos, right? Right. And discomfort. Right. But also the imagination of what's happening in the world of entertainment. I pay close attention to entertainment because a lot of it's predictive programming. And some of it is also showing potential. 
And there is this series, I think it was on Amazon, it's on Amazon Prime, called Humans. And what it's about is we've reached a point where AI and robotics that are synthetic humans, they're called synths. Robotic humans now live alongside humanity to help us with the more mundane tasks so that life actually becomes easier, so we have more time to do what we wish, contemplate, have a more ease on planet Earth. But then the notion of human consciousness merging with synthetic consciousness enters the story. And that's where all of these incredible philosophical um, types of questions start rising and, and very direct kind of emotional kinds of responses people have to this, this perfected being that has now human consciousness that's self-organizing. And so you look at it and think, where are we going to end up on this trajectory? And they ask the question, is that hum- the human trajectory? Is remaining carbon-based but awake and aware and truly sentient? Is that our trajectory wow. with the aid of AI, which is what you're talking about? Well, if you look at other planets, the ones that have evolved themselves, like the Arcturians, yes. say, you know, they have technology. They have any kind of technology. Absolutely. And they're very compassionate. So they... They just chose to keep balance. And that's ex- that's what's being kind of exemplified in this, this uh, series, British oh, series. It seems that the ones with the highest levels of compassion often end up being AI, but they may also be human. So you're looking at the you're looking at the declined intelligence, emotional intelligence on both sides and the elevated emotional intelligence on both sides. But Compassion is a huge keyword in that series. So that's, I think the heart and compassion is going to, I agree with you, be the key to the way we choose to interface with AI in the future. It is the key. It's just being kind of put put on us in ways we don't appreciate at the moment. Right. Yeah. Right. And we have to call the shots on that one. Right. So the kinder, gentler world, same thing my guides told me, looks just like Earth. It's like the earth you have now, beautiful, but you are living amongst more like-minded people, more collaborative right. people. It's a more beautiful way of living on and with the Mm-mm. earth. Right. You'll be able to communicate with yes. the earth. Yes. And so now let's go to Mary. Red crystals pop up. They popped up in Jen's story of Atlantis and so forth. But Mary in the fairy realm, because I think that realm is really prominent right now. On a lot of levels, they're really making themselves more known to earthlings. Right. It was so fascinating how these fairies were using these mirrors. And she kept saying, humans think they are wands with their mirrors. And we use them to access different dimensions by shining this mirror or reflecting the light. It would open the dimension. But they would take the different crystals and they would place them different places to help people with time travel and just whatever they needed. Because these crystals are so sought after. Humans can't have any of these crystals at the moment. <laughs> They're taken away from hidden <laughs> they from are. humans. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Until we reach the Not level. Kids, we until we... <laughs> exactly. Tell us a little bit more about the nature of the elemental kingdom that she was. She went back into a time where she was part of that. Right. And she could remember all her past lives. 
She didn't tell us go. About, so everyone's fascinated with elementals. Tell us a little bit more about Mary and her experiences. Oh, it was so cute. She said it was like a dollhouse where she lived, and she was just laughing so much, and she had access to all of her past lives. There was no forgetting in that um, in that realm, and they were just beautiful little light beings that just wanted to help. And how did um, they work with Earth, with Mother Mother Nature? with humans how does that work in well that's what ways? their job that's their role to work with human humans and mother nature mm -hmm. and to, to basically just to work with the both of them and to help them in whatever way they can just beautiful little light beings that seem so happy and she said there's so much laughter here just constantly laughing well, I think and we playing. all want to go there <laughs> Next life. <laughs> It'd be a fairy next right, life. Right, right. <laughs> Not an evil dwarf, right? <laughs> yeah. So you talked about the blue light a moment ago. It's mm -hmm. something that's happening right now. But some of the people this information came through said, it's not just right now. It's going to be continuing for a while. Right. And it's okay if you're not ready for it yet. You have, there's so many opportunities. All you have to do is, is accept it, basically. You can just put your feet on the earth and have it, you know, be absorbed through your body. There's so many ways to use this light or to bathe yourself in it. It doesn't take much. And what else did they have to say about what we can all do right now to progress without the same level of pain, insanity, and so forth we've been going through? Because I know different information is coming through different people. What are some of the tools we have here? Oh, my gosh. Well, just to go inwards, just to quiet your mind. And I would always ask, what about for the people that don't know how to meditate? And they said, oh, well, you know, just going out into nature is good enough. Being around yes. like-minded people, speaking freely with another person that you feel you can just speak freely with is so healing. And, you know... Besides nature and swimming, just all different things. There's so many different things you can do to raise your vibration or to connect with another person, connect with the earth, or connect with yourself, basically. Just what listen about connecting, deeply. What about yourself. connecting with all the beings besides, and especially our higher self, well, but everything well, in this other realm that is trying to help us along the way? That was really interesting. So they don't give me the future, but they said the most predominant future potential is that, you know how everybody talks about connecting with the other side, it's going to be very commonplace to connect with the higher version of yourself. Like the, if you want to call it an extraterrestrial version, everybody has that version. Multidimensional version. Exactly. Yeah. So that's going to be commonplace to connect with that part of ourselves and everybody will understand how to do this. It's going to be easy. And just to add to that, in the most ancient of Atlantean times, it was very easy for those realms to communicate between themselves when they were in not as dense a physical reality and not reliant yet upon technology, but more spiritual technology. And so maybe it's just us remembering our way back to when we used to be able to communicate that way, too. Oh, I love that. And Definitely. Any final thoughts? We just have a minute or so left about tying this huge subject of the Sphinx and everything else we talked about together. Well, I would just love to say, because I do this job almost every single day, that the beings that come through my clients, 
you could call them the extraterrestrials or higher consciousness, they always say that, you know, it's so funny that humans are always trying to be when they already are. They're always trying to get something when they already have it. That basically a human's job is to be messy, not perfect. We're not supposed to be perfect. We're here to be messy. And we come to this earth to have these experiences. Because when you go back to the in-between, then all is known. You've just forgotten. That's why there's, you know, chaos and pain. But when you go back to the in-between, everything is known to you again. So while you're here, just make a mess. Don't be perfect. Leave the stupid jerk. <laughs> and have as much fun as possible. Sarah, that couldn't be more beautifully said. Let's just get messy. Not beat ourselves up for being messy might even be a better way to put it. And enjoy this and learn everything we can while we have it this way. Thank you once again. I can't wait to see what you come up with next because undoubtedly new information is going to start streaming through your clients. It already has. Super oh. exciting. <laughs> okay. You going to tease us a little? Oh my gosh. Well, a lot of what I've been getting recently is tribal information. And it's been coming through like crazy. All these different subjects that don't know one another because they said the time is right for justice, not justice in the way that, you know, something bad will happen to somebody else, mm -hmm. but justice in the fact that people will finally be heard. That's mirrored also by uh, Sheila Gillette and the Theo group. Oh, interesting. That, yes, people will be heard that we're moving to a time where, believe it or not, governments will be serving the people not the other way around right right that's what i've been hearing too I that's so it. interesting i love it that's good news and so when that's all done put a book together and i'll have you back thank you okay, thanks sarah again sarah's book is titled a hypnotist journey to the secrets of the sphinx you can also go to sarah's website to connect with her personally at the holistic if you enjoyed this interview you might also want to watch my previous interview with her here in the gaia archives until next time thank you for joining us here on open minds Most of us say we want X. I want a new car. 
I want a fancy house. I want uh, inner peace. I want a loving relationship. And then we start to go out into our world and we say, I will earn the right. And uh, you start working away at life. And you're using your mind a lot and you're working at everything and things get in the way. Life seems to throw curves at you. You can think of everyone in this world that you know as dragging a whole bunch of suitcases behind them. The emotion code is a way to cut loose all those suitcases, all those steamer trunks, all that baggage that you've been carrying around all your life. The end result of that is that you become light and you become able to manifest into the world what you're supposed to be able to manifest. Imagine living in a world where everyone is actually manifesting from their heart into the world their perfect creation that is inside each of them. That's where we're going. component 
that begins to create chemistry in our bodies because the body is interpreting an emergency situation. Now, all organisms in nature are designed for short-term stress. Uh, gazelle gets chased by a lion. 15 minutes later, it goes back to grazing and everything returns back to balance. Human beings are a little different. We can turn on the stress response just by thought alone. We can think about some past bitter memory that's tattooed in the recesses of our gray matter. And like magic, it comes to life. And in that moment, it's real. Whenever you see something, because the brain works in pictures, there's a response to that image of the sensory impact. If you hear a sound that sounds dangerous, your body, your brain will create an emotional molecule to get you to respond to that. And as a result, our heart rate increases, our immune system suppresses, we become more anxious because we're not in our fullest potential in the moment. The core of every symptom, stress, and disease 